0: what's up everybody it's your boy dr devin walker and i'm here with javier wallace and we are black with blue passports this podcast explores the impact that international travel has on black americans pursuit of liberty and racial justice this podcast is sponsored by ddce global at the university of texas at austin with support from the world walker foundation and black austin tours Welcome to another episode of Black with Blue Passports. It's your boy, Dr. Devin Walker, your boy Javier Juárez. Hello, everybody. Gotta, Hello. Oh, Hello. so so relaxed today. Uh, and we have a fabulous guest with us today. Her name is Shar Winter, or she goes by Char. Um, Char is a social entrepreneur and growth strategist who promotes diversity and inclusion, personal development, community empowerment. She is the founder and CEO of Expat Incorporated and creator of the Expat app, which is noted as the first and only app for the black expat community. As a growth strategist, she leverages insights from her global experience to help companies and individuals elevate their brand. Her prior experience includes 10 plus years at Deloitte Consulting, serving as the director of strategic partnerships for Girls Love Travel, a community of 1.1 million female travelers. And though her involvement as a speaker and content creator for various platforms, she is an active advocate for diversity and inclusion in the travel, expat, and tech communities. She's also passionate about youth empowerment and STEM education, which she supports through her service on the board of directors for raising expectations, a youth development program. So thank you so much for bringing yourself and all of your expertise here it's not every day that I get to meet someone who is an app creator especially a black woman so we excited thanks for being here with us Char.
1: <laughs> no thank you for having me on I really appreciate it excited to for our chat today.
0: For sure for sure so as with everybody most folks on this podcast obviously have extensive travel experience but I, I really want to know about your moment maybe that opened yourself up to the joys of traveling to the beauty of traveling like when did you get that travel bug
1: oh so it started really early Um, both my parents are jamaican and when i was younger my mom we would go and visit where my mom was from in jamaica she's from a really really small town called pisgah And um, the country is, we call it the country. The country, I mean, the country, um, Pisgah is very different from the tourist areas. So if you've ever been to Jamaica and been to like Montego Bay, Kingston, Pisgah is nothing like that. (laughs) Um, This was back in the nineties when I first visited. They had just gotten electricity and running water 25 years prior. So you just got to like put that in context. You know what I mean? So for me, it was like a whole new world. And um, I I was growing up in Detroit and my mom would say often, Like, oh, you guys are spoiled to me and my sister. we're like, no, we're not. Like, we live in Detroit. (laughs) But it's perspective, right? You know, we didn't have any other context to understand what that meant. Because she literally walked miles to school, literally had to go to a well to get water. Like, you know, all these things that you hear about. And um, when we visited, I was like, wow. (laughs) Like this, like... It was just such, it just opened my eyes so much. And that's what sparked my curiosity for travel because it was my first time really seeing people live in a different way of life. And they were happy, you know, because in Michigan and Detroit, South of where I grew up or whatever, very materialistic. So I'm like, they have like none of these material things and they are happy and self-sufficient. So for me, it started really, really young.
0: Okay. You wasn't, you wasn't mad at the lack of resources and having to fetch your own water and that must well, have been a lot as a kid.
1: I didn't have to fetch any water, so <laughs> my auntie, um, we used her car to. And they were, its a well in front of the, um, my great grandma's house that collects the water. But you gotta imagine, like when you take a shower, you're not really taking a shower. It's a very big tin that they fill with water, and I'm like, I'm going first because I don't want nobody else. It. But it's <laughs> like it's like a it bad experience because I mean, even like it's an outhouse at my great grandma's house. Like it's not a blushable toilet. It is an outhouse that's outside of the house. And um, you know, it's just like a big hole, a big pit or whatever. It's it's just interesting. So um, I'm a germaphobe and I've always been. <laughs> Anyone who doesn't know what that means, you can imagine taking someone like me into the country. I ate animal crackers like almost the whole time I was there because I refused to eat anything pretty? else. Because like the chicken you were gonna eat that day, it was walking around the kitchen. You know what I mean? Like, it was that fresh. So it was a little too close for comfort. And then by day, like, say five or six, I'm just, I'm guessing right now. I don't remember the exact day. I gave in because the, the jerk chicken smells so good, and I'm like, I'm gonna have to eat this chicken.
2: Fresh <laughs> so, chicken, I mean.
1: Mind you, my man just took his bare hands, grabbed a piece of bread, no plate, slapped the jerk chicken on there. But that's some of the best jerk chicken I've had to date. So I got over my dermaphobe ways real quick because you know survival, right? <laughs>
2: almost definitely. I mean, I got, I, I have stories for days. Number one, yeah. but I, I'll try to limit them. Yeah. Uh, well, I know, like whoever's listening to this, I don't know what time they'll be listening, but I mean, forever, everybody knows that we have went through like this historic winter storm here in Texas, right? Mm-hmm. And we didn't have water for three days. But my dad's from Panama, and I lived in Panama for like the last six years continuously. So, like, you know, mm-hmm. water outages and power outages are kind of normal, mm-hmm. not as what happened here. So, you know, I was joking. I'm like, look, you're good. 16 ounces of water, and I'll be able to take two showers. <laughs> with 16 ounces. I got this. 16 houses. I mean because it's just it's a it's a normalized practice when the infrastructure all you know like what you're explaining not to that extent but the infrastructure just isn't there in the country as in like the United States. You know, like so it's a common practice for people to quote unquote store or hoard water in their mm-hmm. houses for the days when the water pipes go out and then you have to take a shower with 16 ounces, or if you're lucky just a little bit more and you make it work. But I, you know, it's crazy, it's crazy. So I think about that and then you make me think about like my experiences working with travel and working like curating travel with people from North America when they come into Latin America. And I, I think of this one scene. Like you make me think about this. I was, we were taking a group of women, they were black women from the United States, and we were going to Porto Velo, Panama on the Caribbean coast, and it's kind of rural. And the woman ordered a lemonade from the restaurant, and then like, she had a cup, a styrofoam cup full of lemonade, raspauda, brown sugar. And there's an ant on the rim of the on the rim of the cup. And She's like, oh, I don't want to drink this. We'll see if they'll change it. I'm like, no. in my mind, I've been in Panama. I lived here. I'm like, they are not going to change that. But they paying me. So let me, they don't speak Spanish. So I'm like, let me ask the question. por favor. Mira aquí una hormiga. Aquí en el vaso. La señora quiere que usted que el vaso. I said, miss, look, there's an you here on the cup. The lady would like for you to change, change the cup, change the lemonade. The lady looked at me. She looked at the cup. She looked at the ant, and she took her two fingers and pinched the <laughs> ant and took it off. And said, "Yeah, all I, all I see." And she said, "There you go, brand new,
1: <laughs> like nothing ever happened." The lady
2: didn't know what to do when she like she was just blank staring. She like, and I'm supposed to drink that. I'm like, "Yes, uh, well, let me just buy you another one because." Mm-hmm. And who, they, they took that lemonade back there and poured it in the next cup.
1: Stop playing. Exactly. exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm do on pour Pouring a new cup. Max. That's the max. What they're gonna do. So right. it's. But like you said, you know, it's kind of like the way of life is so different, and so things that like I normally like, I would never in the states eat off someone's bare hands with a slice of bread as a plate. But best believe when you smell that jerk chicken, it's a little. It hits differently. I'm just saying, it just hits differently.
0: So. And with no turning back, I uh, you might as you telling that story about the chicken running around in the uh, the kitchen earlier in the day. So I was in Laos in this little village you can only get to by boat, and our tour guide who grew up in this village, he's like, yo, let's go, you know, take this little hike. So we hiking through not, you know, through the forest, whatever. And we get to this hut and under the hut, dude has like chickens and whatnot. So eventually, he's like, "Hey, y'all hungry? We're like, yeah. Chickens is running around here, let the chickens out. See, dude pulls out a big ass rifle. Yeah, snipes it. I'm like, <laughs> the chicken is squirming and screaming. He goes up to it, breaks its neck. And I'm just sitting there kind of like, is this what he meant? Like, are y'all hungry? Man, he boiled, Boils the chicken real quick. We take him to the river. I'm like, yo, I want to go with you. We defeather him or depluck him. I don't know if it was him or her. Um, come back, boil that thing up, add some chilies in there and some salt. That was like the only seasoning we had. And that was lunch. It was chicken soup, like in the rawest
1: form. It was
0: water, chicken, salt, and chilies. But did that hit? I'm
1: telling
0: you, all. <laughs> I was really out there slurping yeah. down this bowl like the freshest chicken ever, and it it really reoriented my mind I was like, what does organic mean? You know, for me growing up in L.A., organic became like a big deal. And I was like, oh, organic side of the, you know, the grocery store where you have more expensive stuff, and mm-hmm. in that experience, was like, oh no, this is organic. That chicken was literally running around 10 minutes ago. (laughs) Anywho, anywho, we could do this, as Javier said, for days, but we want to get into this expat app Mm -hmm. as you, I'm going to say, as you claim it is the first and only app for the Black expat community. So tell us a little bit about the app, how you came to develop it, and uh, what your goals are for it.
1: Yeah, so um, right now, you know, there are a ton of Black travel apps, right? Um, and I want to distinguish the two because people, I think they take travel and expat as the same, but traveling abroad and living abroad are two different experiences in my opinion. So I do want to make the point to distinguish um, that this is the first um, Black expat app that is, um, you know, specifically for the global Like expat community. When I use the word black, I'm talking about anyone from the African diaspora. So if you are Black American, Caribbean, you know, African, you know what I mean, Afro Latina, I'm counting you as black. (laughs) Um, And the reason I created the app is because I'm an expat myself. I lived abroad in London for three years. Most recently, I just came back to um, Portugal. It's my second expat country. And one of the biggest When I'm moving abroad, one of the biggest things for me is, A, finding my community, but B, am I going to be safe? You know, how am I going to be So as I was doing this research, London is unique because London's so diverse. You're good no matter where you're from to me in London. You will find your tribe or be able to find your tribe somewhere. London is just a very diverse city. But when I was moving abroad to my second expat country and I was doing research, like, where else can I live? Um, Portugal was top of my list just because previous visits, I felt like it was home. It was just a weird, I had traveled over 40 countries by the time I had visited Lisbon, um, Portugal, and it just felt like home. And I can't describe it any other way other than I felt like I had arrived home. Um, I have no ties to Portugal, by the way, so no one in my family. And then, um, but I was curious about how the Black people were treated there. Um, and so I started doing some research and ended up having a discussion with a Black woman, Black American woman who had moved over here recently. And it was such a great discussion. I was like, man, I wish other people could have heard, like, been a part of this discussion, you know? And that's when I came up with the idea for expat chats. So expat chats started back in May of last year. And I just started interviewing black expats all over the world. Because I was like, we need to have this discussion. And I want it to be a space just for us. And the reason that that's important is because a lot of the expat spaces are dominated you know, by white people, right? So if you're trying to, to um, find insights in a, a normal expat community, you have got to filter through a lot. For example, I'm looking for a black barber out here. I just cut all my hair off, right? I'm looking for a black barber. When I go to internations or other expat apps, I got to filter through a lot, four C, kind of put in all these little extra details just to try to find a recommendation that makes sense. Um, and so I was like, no, we need our own community so that we don't have to do that. We are the default, you get what I mean, right? Mm-hmm. There's no having to filter on all this information. information. So, Anyway, the expat chats went on for a couple of weeks. And then I'm like, man, this is really taking off. Like people were really interested in it. And even I, as an expat, was finding out about all these, that we had a very a much broader footprint than I thought. And we were concentrated in certain areas and it was great communities, but they were all siloed. You know, these group chats, Facebook groups, all these different areas. So I'm like, we just need a directory. So that's how the app came up because in my mind, I wanted to have a directory so that if I'm a black expat and I want to move abroad, whether it's Mexico, Cambodia, Portugal, whatever, I want to be able to just go somewhere and find all of these groups. You know, I want to be able to find these people who can link me into the group chats because these group chats are just a a wealth of information. You know, I'm in a ton of them. Um, One for London that has over 150 people in it. You know, and you got to think about when you're moving abroad the power of having access to people who understand Mm -hmm. things you're going through, like. Finding someone who can do your tax, recommend taxes. Finding someone who knows how to do here the way they do here, you know, where you're from. And of course, you want to immerse yourself in the experience. But that don't mean that there aren't certain things that you need to make the experience welcoming, right? So the app just evolved naturally because out of expat chats. And I called it the expat app. And the reason I used the word expat in particular is because in my mind, the word expat previously had just been reserved for everyone else but people of color <laughs> mm-hmm. and i wanted us to like reclaim it and i just used expat xpat that's it you know um but it was really important to me that i used the word expat and not any other word because a lot of times like i know my mother would never been called an expat i know my dad would have never been called an expat you get what i mean so um that that word isn't reserved for us normally so i'm like no we are reclaiming it <laughs>
0: yeah no that's that's dope i mean it it when I was looking for the app initially, I was looking like black expat app, right? Mm -hmm. I was searching for the black and I never really found it. And then I remember having that first conversation with you and you were suggesting why. And it made me think about my own process and continuous negotiation with the term Mm -hmm. patriotism. And like, what does that look like being an American patriot? Mm -hmm. And so Donald Trump, you know, recently I heard this rumor statement or whatever, but he's he's thinking about starting a Patriots party,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: Which we know ain't yeah. for us,
1: yeah. right? It's,
0: it's-, it's for the people who exclude us, right? And in, in many ways, like that's what it means to be, patriotism means in this country, right? Mm-hmm. Like an association to whiteness and excluding any and everybody else who doesn't fit into the changing dynamics of what whiteness looks like at any given time. Um, and, you know, I was in South Africa many years ago and I was with this gentleman who is was just extremely powerful, community oriented. Um, you know, you go to his house, you might have somebody from Congress there, you know, somebody from the government. And the next minute, you might have the biggest drug dealer in the Cape Flats. The next minute, you might have a pastor come through. He was just connected, right? Had mad respect. And, you know, we were on like a... Uh, I know, like the wharf one time, looking out over water, trying to see if we could see some, some whales. And the South African National Anthem came on. Mm-hmm. And he just stopped completely, removed himself from the conversation, mm-hmm. put his arm up in the air with his fist ball and was saying the words, not really loud, but just kind of singing along to it. And just the strength on his face and in his body in that given moment, I'm like, Man, he is proud to be South African. He is proud of where this country's at right now. He's proud of his own journey from being a gangster to being locked up to now being a community organizer, running all these churches. Like he, he he's proud of the whole narrative, right? And it made me reflect. Like, man, how am I? The question asked me is like, how am I ever gonna really change America in the ways that it needs to be changed? until I love the country as much as he loves his, right? And I I just had this disassociation to the term patriot. So mm-hmm. the app really brought up a lot for me as it relates to, to, to that and to my, to my journey as it relates to you know, identifying with patriotism.
1: Yeah, because the, the thing is like, so many people told me to put black in the title of the app. Like, trust me, almost everyone actually. And they like, why don't you have black in the app? And I was like, Because for me, the expat itself says it enough. Like, we are here. We exist. We get to own these words. We get to own this space. And I'm sick of it. The default, they don't have to put white expat. So why do I got to put black expat? You get what I mean? And so, um, you know, the app, it's it's called that for a reason because I just firmly believe in, like, we can also be in this space. The default, again, as I said, the default doesn't always, we're rethinking that narrative around what does the expat mean? You know what I mean? Because yeah. you would never go somewhere and have an app built for a white community called White Expat. You would just never have that. <laughs> you wouldn't have You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying because even when I hear the word patriot now, especially after the events that happened the terrorist attack that happened on January 6th, I don't associate that with something positive anymore. You get what I mean? Yeah. And it's, it's there's a power in words. <laughs> so i mean it's interesting that you say that because when i just like um when trump was in office when i used to see the american flag it didn't make me feel like it represented america It made me feel like it represented is him and what he stands for so you you see how these things like people yeah, can clean,
0: still, i mean still when i see dudes yeah, you know white dudes with tats at? of american flags even i i'm like does this person rock with me and yes. my body just based off just because they have an American flag and it's so mm-hmm. interesting. And, and Javier, when you were talking a little bit, when you were living in Panama, did you identify as an expat? No, I mean,
2: first I didn't know what expat meant. When I moved to Panama, my dad is from Panama, so I went there intentionally like reconnecting with like a heritage, but, and I, okay. but I was a US citizen too. Um, When I got to Panama, I took out my Panamanian citizenship and I became a Panamanian citizen at the least on paper. Um, But I didn't, I didn't, you know, I, I, I did not, but like I shared with Devin before, I didn't have a problem when people called me gringo either because I didn't, it didn't make me upset because I understood what people were saying when they said that, because I understood I was coming from the United States. I understood I had a level of privilege that people who were Panaman did not have. And Mm -hmm. I understood the relationship with the United States to the country. That's not to say I agree with it, but I didn't find myself coming up in arms about it either. And for me, it's like, ah, the expat, you know, I I, I, I didn't, I, I didn't. No, because I understand my privileges that I had. I, I looked for black people that were in Panama. It wasn't until I started to work at an international school. This is the first time in my life and growing up in the United States that I found myself in community with white Americans.
0: Mm-hmm. Previous to that.
2: Internationally. Internationally. In Panama, that's the first time that I had really, wow. you know, went out to clubs, went to places with white Americans. And you know, I'm from the United States, I'm from Austin, a very white city. Mm -hmm. But it just was not my experiences. You know, so when they started to talk about how they were experiencing Panama, I was like, that's not my experience. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, they had this thing they used to call like the gringo tax. (laughs) They say the gringo tax is when you're like, you're walking on the street, And these taxis just come up to you and start like honking their horns, trying to see if they can get you to go anywhere. And I just hate it. And then they want to charge you all this money. I'm like, I've been standing on the corner for 20 minutes and ain't nobody stopped for me yet. Ain't I American? Ain't I the same American as you? But they are not giving me that. Mm -hmm. they're not giving me that I'm not getting it you know so like I'm like I ain't getting those things I'm not and you know that was so it's conflicting was it's conflicting for me you know like when James Bowie died I didn't know who James Bowie was Mm -hmm. I did not know and they were all having this conversation like oh James Bowie wasn't great Javier what do you think I'm like who is that you don't know who James Bowie is I'm like well hell yeah I am not earth wind and fire and we're gonna do that you know what you mean? I mean? We gonna do that. Gonna take the, gonna take the, <laughs> the expat thing—it it, was—it's it, a lot. It's—it's—it's it's, it's loaded for me, mm-hmm. uh, because my experiences—you know—I don't know. Being American actually saved my life in Panama. Many cases when mm-hmm. I could not be a Panamanian. Um, having a U.S. passport allowed me to get out of situations where Black Panamanians would not be able to get out of. So it's it, I don't know, it's it's complicated for me, but I understand the importance of finding community uh, with like-minded people that have similar experiences because that was my experience in Panama. Like I found Black Americans that we met on Sundays and had Sunday dinners, but my everyday interactions on the street, being a Black person, young from the United States living amongst many Panamanians, it wasn't oftentimes very friendly. Um, and, it, and it wasn't the same as my white American counterparts. It was not the same.
1: That's part of the reason why I'm creating the app, right? Because your experience as an expat, as a black expat is not the same as the the, the other expats, which tend to be white. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's even if you go to places where you're being welcomed, you get what I mean. There are just some unique differences just by the way we move through the world because at the end of the day, until I open my mouth when I'm walking through um, Portugal, they don't even know I'm American and they don't treat. So there's a level of passport privilege that has to be like put into this conversation, right? I experience more privileges as an American on foreign soil than I do in America. And I say that because abroad, it's like they're more classes than races, meaning that my passport gives me access to certain privileges and treatment that I would never have, not never, I would really get access to in the U.S. So I get treated better abroad because I'm American. But before they know I'm American, before I open my mouth in some spaces, I can already tell the treatment is different. You get what I mean? They don't treat Black people who are Native or local there as well as they would treat a Black American. But again, it goes back to the point of classism trumping racism. You know what I mean? Now in America, to me, racism rules supreme. There's no amount of money that can have you escape. As- me, the president of the United States, they still gonna treat you like trash. You know what I mean? So it's it's a it's a very it's a complex dis- complex discussion because you have to give a lot of context when you're talking about the experiences for it to make sense. You mm-hmm. know, and 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 even with you can have black people, you can talk to another black person in Panama and they can tell you a totally different experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think we need spaces where, when we're abroad, where we can connect and identify with each other and find each other as well. Um, if not just for anything else, just so that you know, you don't... I can't always relate to my white counterparts who are expats when I'm abroad. I just can't. There's just certain experience, parts of the experience that I, I can't relate to them one.
0: <laughs> right. yeah, and, and you know, I've also found, and this is obviously more of my experience working with study abroad students, but my last year in China, we only had have, have one white student on the trip and I found her struggling with things that the other students weren't struggling with. Mm-hmm. It was almost like this loss of being in a white dominant society,
1: mm-hmm. right? When
0: that was stripped from her because she had been on a trip previously the year in South Africa with us and she was navigating fine with a mostly student of color group because there's white folks in South Africa and there's still this white dominance, right? Don't matter how many people of color, how many black people, color people in, in Cape Town, white people still dominate, right? The economics, of the politics. So there was a level of comfort. She decided to go to China and she struggled, like struggled finding community struggled I think with this this loss of privilege um, in many ways. So when you talk about you know the experience is not the same it's not and it's not always like ours is worse. I think sometimes people would jump to that experience like oh you're gonna have a worse experience so we need to have our own conversation. Well like actually sometimes we're able to navigate these other spaces a little bit more effectively because we've been navigating white spaces that weren't built for us our whole life Yes. So the fact that I'm in China with a bunch of Chinese people that nobody looks like me, Mm. it's not completely out of my comfort zone because realistically, I've been doing this.
1: Exactly. And I remember one of the first times where I experienced, where I feel like it was reversed. I was traveling to Belize and you know, they this it was random, this other um black girl ended up sitting next to me on the flight. I was traveling solo. She was solo too, but she was meeting some people there. And it was only a few of us who were black going, we get, you know, through checking, whatever. And they like doing this extra screening on everybody who's pretty much not black. And it was like the first time I felt like, man, I'm actually like, you know what I mean? And and, and it was very obvious. And the white people were like enraged. And I was just thinking like, wow. I was like, this is their first time experiencing this. I could tell. Some of them were just kind of, you know, whatever, but the ones who realized what was happening, you get what I mean?
2: <laughs> they were they were enraged that black people were getting the extra level of screening.
1: No, no, we weren't getting extra level of screening. That's what I'm oh. saying. We were being oh. able to just go through, they were getting the extra screening. And this was in Belize. So I mean, I, I was just like, wow. So it was it was it was interesting because um I think, like I said, it was the first time, right? And for me, I was like, I'm used to the one getting the extra random screenings, like welcome to our world. But these things aren't even that uncommon. I just think that when you take people out of their comfort zone and when privilege, like what they call a passport privilege revoked, you know, in certain spaces, they, they people don't know what to do. So.
2: Yeah. It's, oh, go ahead, Devin. Well I was gonna I was gonna switch it. go ahead. would, would you know well, I, I have a question too, but I, i'll i just say like this last part because you know oftentimes when I lived in Panama, I lived there six years continuously. I used to get a lot of inquiries from black people from the United States, particularly of different ethnic backgrounds. Not everybody was solely African American. We could be Jamaicans or what have you, and asking like, how would my life be in Panama as a black expat or black American living abroad? And you know, like, will I experience racism? And you know, the majority of my responses to them will be like, no, in the majority of senses, because I'm like, you know, you're not, you're not going to live in the predominantly ghettos in Panama that are, you're not gonna live in a ghetto that is a black ghetto. You're not going to send your kids to these trash schools that other Black people have to go to. You won't find yourself in these super Black spaces that are mm-hmm. highly policed and criminalized. So you might not experience the same level of racism as you think in the United States. But the danger, like I tell them, is saying that it doesn't exist here. Yeah. Because it does. It's just that you, with the privileges that you come in with in the spaces where you will be able to live, where you'll work, where you'll send your kids, you are going to be slightly taken away from the experience of black people that walk here every day. And my my curse was being Panamanian and having to walk alongside those same black people that lived in these, ghetto, in these ghettos, mm-hmm. because my family lived there. So I found myself being treated like that, but then I was walking on this line because mm-hmm. I was a US citizen too. So I, I, I could peek into what the other side was like and knowing how like, to present myself, when to speak English and when not to speak Spanish. Uh Because Spanish is not, it beneficial for African, for Black people coming to live in Panama, but it's not beneficial to be a Spanish speaker in Panama and Black, because they're going to treat you like that. So Mm -hmm. I had to understand when I could speak English and when it was better to not say anything in Spanish. Interactions with the police, oh no, no, no English, no Spanish, no Spanish, I was American. Because Mm. that's how the only way they were going to respect me, my humanity. But anyway, with the question I wanted, I want to say that, but I did want to have a question. How do you define (laughs) expat? Because is an expat is somebody who has lawful, lawful, (laughs) lawful status in the country, work visa? Or is an expat somebody who's taking advantage of the tourist visas in these countries for 180 days, (laughs) working, departing the country for 36 hours? And coming back and renewing that visa on arrival. Is that an expat? So what is it? Like, what do you so, define expat?
1: Like, is I'm it completely like, def on this one? I'm just kidding. So <laughs> what i am saying. is for me, when I define the word expat, I really, and I even say this in um the way I describe the app, it's like you're living abroad. How you choose to live your life is up to you. Um, I encourage on all of my expat chats, um, for people to follow the proper process, which is through the visa. That's what I've been doing. Um, but I also understand, and I'm fully aware of the fact that everyone's not, everyone can get the, you know, obtaining a visa abroad, it costs money. It costs money. It's an investment of time and not everybody is in a position to do it that way. I won't promote it because again, I'm not trying to get anyone in trouble, but I'm also not going to knock people because I don't know your specific situation. So I leave it at that. But I also, the community includes nomads too. And nomads nomads hop around. The irony of this discussion is your girl was supposed to be a little digital nomad. I had quit my job of 10 years at Deloitte, um, taking a gap year. I was living my best life, you know. <laughs> this is all pre COVID. Um, that was October, 2019. And in my mind, I was the gap year that I was taking, I was going to travel around the world for a year and I was gonna find my purpose, you know, my eat, pray, love type stuff and um, find a new country to live in. Well, fast forward to March when COVID hit, hit, I was, you know, in London. And, you know, I'm like, i gonna just stay in London for a little bit, you know, whatever. Cause you can stay in London for up to six months on a tourist visa. And then I was like, we get to this fifth month, I'm getting nervous. I'm like, I got to go somewhere, right? This is for real, for real. Like, this is a pandemic pandemic. Like, this ain't no little baby pandemic. So at this point, um, I already had a ticket to go to Portugal. It was just booked out later on in the year. So I, like, the ancestral nudges came through, like, change your ticket. They closing borders. Um, And so I changed my ticket last minute. Three days later, I'm in Portugal. They actually had implemented the um, shutdown the borders, to Americans the day I got to Portugal. Like they didn't let me on the flight at first. You know what I mean? And randomly this lady who works there was a supervisor points to me and this other guy and she's like, let them on their their, um, residence. And I was not a resident. So when I say everything worked out, I knew I belonged in Portugal. I was like so many things aligned that let me know I belonged in Portugal. So I get here for three months. Mind you, I'm on a tourist visa. I hadn't looked up none of the residency visa process, nothing, because none of this was planned like this because of COVID. And... I'm like, oh, I'll just apply for the residency visa or whatever, you know, while I'm here. I didn't know you can't do that. You have to apply from your home country or place of residence. So I had to stay there for three, you know, I stayed, still stayed there for three months. <laughs> uh, left, went to the States, did the residency visa process. Four months later, I could come back. So just got back this month. Um, but my whole point is, my plan was to be hopping around as a digital nomad on tourist visas. You know what I mean? And... Was I going to call myself an expat at that point? No, I was going to call myself a nomad. But now that I am, I've, I've been forced to get my residency visa for Portugal, I'm an expat. You get what I mean? So, I mean, I just, that that was all COVID, right? You know, pre-COVID, I think this whole idea of what a nomad and, put it this way, you'll know if you are an expat or not because of COVID and close these borders and you can't move around as freely. That lets you know if you can do this or not, mm-hmm. pretty much. But I won't sit there and say that the expat community, when I say expat community, expat community, it includes nomads. And those are people who normally hop around on tourist visas. So, um, you know, to each his own. I, I'm not in nobody's pockets. I don't know what the situation is.
0: Oh, definitely. So, Shark, so you talked a little bit, you were telling a story about Belize and you said you were traveling by yourself. Mm-hmm. You literally just picked up your whole life and said, boom, I'm making a move to Portugal. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, you know, when I'm sharing my travel experience, especially my backpacking experiences, I always get the question, like, is it, you know, what about for women, right? Mm-hmm. But as we've talked, mm-hmm. it, it might appear on the surface that like traveling is like a male oriented thing. But when you really start to look at the numbers,
1: it's mm-hmm.
0: black women out there traveling mm-hmm. at higher numbers than black men, or at least, at least that's maybe what it appears. So what do you have to say to like, some folks who were interested in maybe just picking up and doing what you did, especially women, like, man, I'm out of here, I'm doing my own thing.
1: So I will say this. So at this point I've been to over 50 countries and about 20, over 25 of them have been solo. Do it. Ooh. You will thank yourself, okay? And mind you, I had a job that let me travel domestically, meaning that I racked up all these points, right? Um, and that's how I subsidized my travel. So I ain't trying to come out here like I'm some rich person traveling the world. My travel has been subsidized from the ten years I worked at this consulting company, and I traveled for work, and I accumulated a lot of miles. So, um, and I would use those miles for my international travel. So much stuff that would probably cost people a whole lot of money cost me way less because I'll go and you know go abroad off, fly off points, stay off points, you know. And um, but I encourage people, regardless of how you figure out how you're going to finance it, right? I encourage you to just go and see the world. And I encourage for women who don't wait around for some man or for some relationship to happen or for your friends, look at COVID. All these people who had all these plans, right? And now they can't do, you can't do a lot. Some travel will never be the same. Let's be honest. You know what I mean? Because there's so many companies that are local and even some companies that aren't local that they're not going to survive this. Right. And so tourism, as we know it, travel as we know, is going to look very different. So for people who sat there and waited, 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 you know, thinking like, oh, when I get a boyfriend, I'll travel. Oh, when my friends can afford to travel, we'll travel. Oh, when my schedule lightens up at work. Listen, and I'm saying as somebody who worked a corporate job, I used to force my travel schedule. Every year when work started, I mean, when we started a new year, they had my entire time off schedule submitted. I didn't play any, even when I didn't know where I was going, I just sent, I want these days off, these days, I just picked random days. Like, because I just knew, I use my vacation time, 100% of it. I don't give them back any vacation time. So like, you just have to set those boundaries. And it, and it got to the point where, you know, I would take off three to four weeks at a time. And it was just so unheard of to everybody else. And I'm like, I have five weeks, why would I not take it? You mm. know? And people would, but I was like, you set that boundary. And America has a culture where they don't encourage travel. And I'm sorry, they don't encourage time off and work-life balance. But if you go to other countries, it is common. In August, in Europe, ain't nobody working. (laughs) Like, it's like, so my whole thing is like, you know, but I had to set those boundaries though. You know what I mean? No one sets them for you. And it got to the point where, like, they just knew I wasn't going to be working in December because that's my vacation time. And I would take my little solo trip. I would miss holidays. I mean, cause my birthday's right before Christmas. And so that's when I would take my solo trip almost every year. And I, it just, I am, mean, it's the best feeling in the world. It's so, when you need to just unplug and I'm real big on energy, you don't have to worry about nobody else's energy messing up. It's a way to rejuvenate yourself and to just discover and do what you genuinely want to do without the influence of anybody else. And when you're in a foreign space, the option to just learn and you meet people easier that way too, by the way, ladies. So, um, I just encourage people to do it. Of course you need to be safe. Um, I don't do the whole off the beaten path stuff when I'm by myself because that's just not safe. Um, I stay at hotels or if I do stay at an Airbnb, which is really rare when I'm traveling solo, um, it's in a really populated area. So not What like about a hostel. No, na- no, that's not my style. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. Then, no. How about? No. Um, I'm a <laughs> hostel girl. So, at, I did a hostel once, and guess what? It was in the U.S. in New York. I had a, a weird layover type situation, and I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna do this little hostel thing in New York." I hated every moment of it. I was like, "I will never." I probably only saved like twenty dollars. I was like, "I will never ever but do it." No, I'm just hostels saying
0: hostels be the jam, bro. I mean, <laughs> I've had some terrible experiences. Have yes. you? You, you didn't me. hear the story about the
2: chicken in Jamaica. See, I, I, when I heard the story about the Jamaica, the whale and the chicken, I that question about the hostel. I was like yeah, I Don't think I don't think I don't, I don't think sure about that hostel. Like I'm
0: not
1: about the hostel life.
0: <laughs> you could find some gems, and yep. sometimes you can stay for so cheap. And I, I just feel like in a hostel, I'm connected. I am the ability to get connected to local resources. Oh, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes because they always have like these little partnerships with the little co-op down the street, or this little, you could do this little nature walk here, or, you know, this is, for me, that's just been a a great way to both meet other travelers, yeah, but then also get connected to what people are on on the ground are doing. Um, And, you know, it's geared for travelers, but I, I hear you. I tried to have my, me and my fiance were traveling through South Africa, after mm-hmm. a couple hostel st- stops, she was like, "Nah, nah. and not all hostel. You can get your own room at a hostel. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah have- I
1: have my own room, but the window, the walls don't go all the way to the top in that one. And I was like, I might as well have <laughs> just been right next like, to y'all. So, you know-
0: so you brought up, Char. You brought up. You got a few minutes left, but you,
1: yeah,
0: you brought up the. You said it's easier to meet people. Yeah. What is your expectation uh-huh. as a woman? In her 30s, young 30s?
1: Yeah, I'm 36.
0: 36. Yeah. All right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What is your expectation for dating and, and, and your personal love life moving to Portugal?
1: Okay, so I'm gonna say this. I'm probably not the average 36-year-old female, whether you black or white, orange Asian. I am very comfortable. Uh, I don't want to say alone, that's not the word I want to use, but I really like. Just my own space. Mm -hmm. I don't know how else to describe the energy that I just like to be in my own space. So I really highly value companionship. And but this move, I knew that companionship might not happen as easily as it happened in London. London, it was just, you know, it's so diverse. You can easily find your tribe and you can definitely easily find men because it's like a kid in a candy shop to ladies, in my opinion. Other Black women disagree with me for the record, but that's my opinion. Um, Portugal, I've was only i only been here for three months before I had to leave, and then now I've only been back for one month. I haven't even had a chance to date or explore here, but just from what I've heard, I don't think it's going to be the move when I'm searching for a companion. But right now, my priority really isn't, um, I mean, I should say that's not my priority. It's just that I'm focused on so many other things right now that's like really, really, really important to me. And I'm trying to establish a certain lifestyle. I'm like, what's meant for me will happen, right? And the men here are attractive. So that's a plus. But I've, I just haven't like had a chance to, to date. If it happens organically, that would be great. Because that would be like a bonus to my Portugal experience. But I didn't come here searching for love. I came here searching for a way to create a life that I love, you know? Like what I mean by that is like where I can be free, I can create, I can, you know, own a certain energy. And that's what I'm looking for. I mean, so far, so good. But um, I do think that dating might be harder here. And I'm comparing it to London because dating in London was fantastic. (laughs) And I won't lie, flights aren't that, the flights to London are super cheap. So I was like, I'll just keep in touch with all the London guys, you know, <laughs> like I feel like you
0: got a couple of things lined up in London <laughs> no, that you ain't ready to get rid of. I, mean, really does. Like,
1: I don't care what anyone says. The only reason I'm not in London is because it's too expensive to live here. You get what I mean? Yeah. yeah I'm on this yeah. entrepreneurial journey. I got to be realistic about what I can afford. I'm not one of these people who like lives outside of my, um, what I can, you know, what I can afford in Lisbon makes sense because it's literally half the price of London, but Like, don't let me mess around and get rich. (laughs) (laughs) But London is a nice, in regards to dating, London is a very nice place to date. I think it was a lot easier for me there to find guys I was compatible with because they are well-traveled, the guys that I met. And it was just, I mean, I love traveling, right? So that was an easy connect with most of the guys that I met.
2: So I have a question, not along the dating lines. Uh, Mm -hmm. I do have, but I'm not going to for the sake of time.
1: Conversation, uh,
2: So you're going to make me go there, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to ask the I'm question. It because now so
1: you can't do that
2: because now you got to ask the question. But no, you know, it's like, why are they more like, what, they, what makes them more compatible in London? Like, are they, are they within the expat community or you are like local, local people from okay. the, the population? To
1: any woman, as we stated earlier, as a black woman, woman dating uh, if you're looking for another black man it's like 80 20 so good luck sis like it's you know what i mean he's probably for the streets because he's probably dated everyone in the expat community right because it's so many options you know a guy first of all oh yeah let me just share this to the fellas like if any encouragement to any guys who want to go abroad you're gonna be a gold mine because it's not as many guys in my opinion that are living abroad that are black men, like it's just not, right? So when you are in these black expat communities as a black man, it's like for every one guy might be eight females, I'm not being funny. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's some really nice guys in the black expat community, but my experience when I say, and that's why I say, if you ask other black females, if dating is better abroad, they'll say no probably compared to me, it's because I'm open to dating people who are from the hump, the country that I'm in get what I mean? I'm not limiting myself to only black American men. I'm like, nah, I didn't come all the way abroad just to go. To the same guy. So the guys that I have dated and the guys that I have like been really compatible with have not been American. They haven't even been necessarily British because um, London is so diverse. Like, yeah, they lived in London their whole life, but like, oh, your parent is, you know, Egyptian and Kenyan or your parents, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, so they're yeah. not really British traditional, um, they are first-generation kids like me, and you know what I mean? Like I was first-generation American. So, but their parents are immigrants or whatever. So yeah, I love dating the men in in London. And I found it easy to date. When I say locals, you know, men who grew up there.
2: That was my question. I know Devin like, man, come on, we gotta finish this. But then,
1: okay. I know we have a lot of young Go people. ahead and close
2: the round. You got the last question, man, you got it. Okay, well, cool, we'll do that then. Um, I know I encounter this question a lot, especially like working with younger younger people, like college age students, like on UT's campus and what have you. And their yeah. biggest question for me, somebody who's lived abroad, not just visited but lived, is like, "What do you do? Like, what can I do? Like, how can I make money? Right? Because money is a major issue. Like, people want to yeah. know, like, what am I going to do when yeah. I'm there? So, like, I know I took, I went down the route of teaching, international Mm -hmm. teaching, working in international schools. So, like, Mm -hmm. is there any insight that you can give about what, you have done what you have seen and maybe recommendations for younger people who might be listening, who, who don't have 10 years under their belt of consulting and want to, like, take a shot at living abroad. Like, what are some things you can do?
1: Yes. So, And, and is this
0: something, sorry to jump in real quick, is this something that the app helps folks navigate as well?
1: Yes. So that's part of the, um, there's a couple of things. So if you're, you know, younger or whatever, one of the things I encourage people to do is study abroad there. Today is National Study Abroad Day, which, you know, I just shared. Hey. Um, yeah, super. I know Devin is excited. So, you know, like um, study abroad. And when I say study abroad, don't forget study abroad is not just for undergrad. There are study abroad programs for master's students, meaning that you can have been out of school for a while and you can go back to school abroad. This is an option. People don't, I don't know, wherever we don't talk about it a lot, but I encourage you to look into that. The other thing is teaching, which I'm a default to because it's the, when I say the easiest route, it's the route where you'll see the most common. It'll open up the most doors for you um, in regards to which country you can go to abroad. Teaching is always at the top. For me, people miss this one. If you work for a global company, which is what I did the first time I moved abroad. Sometimes they have offices and opportunities abroad, but you have to open your mouth and let people know. I was yelling from the rooftops day one, I wanted to go abroad at my company. It wasn't until my third year I was eligible to interview and it wasn't until my fifth year that they actually sent me abroad, you know, and I moved abroad with that office for a little bit over two to three years, right? on a work visa. It was a transfer to London. So with the same company, and that's in consulting with one of the big four, Deloitte specifically, if anyone's interested, they have abroad opportunities. It's a great company to work for if you are trying to travel and go abroad. And um, I just highly encourage people to take advantage of these global companies and these networks, right? Um, the next thing is the entrepreneurial route is hard. And I'll tell you why. Um, not because it's hard to be what an entrepreneur is, when they have these requirements for proof of income and that you can, um, a lot of visas, you have to show and prove you can sustain yourself based on the cost of living in that country, right? So I'm lucky that Portugal doesn't have an insane um, income requirement. I don't even want to give an exact number because everyone keeps saying like, oh, that's not true, whatever. But um, I had to show my, you know, I'm over here off my savings, okay? Because my company just started, meaning I don't have, a track record to show them that my company's making money so I had to come over on a passive what they call passive income or whatever. Well my savings which they're calling passive income it's not passive income it's just savings. But anyways that's how I'm here um the other option is you can actually do temporary uh like transfers work assignments or whatever with certain smaller companies so even if you're not with a big local company sometimes they have projects that are abroad and they need somebody if you have a certain skill set you know how to speak Spanish you know how to speak French or something like you need to go online. And then the last thing is if you wanna just do remote and be a digital nomad, you can go on LinkedIn, you can go on Indeed, in linkedin.com, indeed.com. And in the location, type in the word remote. When you type in the word remote, that pulls up jobs that are remote, meaning that they're location independent. Now, I will caveat it with this, just because a job is remote does not mean you can work it overseas. There's data privacy rules meaning that not every single remote job once you take taken there and, you know, working on, you know, abroad or whatever. So do clarify that with the role, but there's more ways to go abroad than people think. If you watch expat chats, I've interviewed all types of people. I just interviewed a doctor in Australia, you know, and she t- taught abroad as a doctor um, in New Zealand and Australia for the last 10 years. And when she mentioned that in certain places, they have work visas, like in Australia, it's for a whole year if you're under 30.
0: My brother did that.
1: Yeah, and one more, and before I know we at time, um, one more thing I just want to close out with is a lot of job um, places, not a lot, some places have this thing, like Australia is one of them. They just have a list of jobs that are in demand at that moment. At one point, being a chef was an in-demand job in Australia. So if you really, like my whole point is people to do the research, right? But again, leverage the app. Um, I, promote, I post I post remote jobs on there every week. So... If people are really, really interested, tap into these communities and let people know what you're interested in.
0: For sure. For sure. You know, the last thing I would love for you to close out, maybe like a 30 second or less answer is when you were talking about why Lisbon. you said you could be more free and creative. And my question is, why do you believe you can be more free and creative outside of the United States?
1: my humanity is not constantly having to be validated. <laughs> you know, I'm able to exist in peace and I find myself, um, like I say, racism is everywhere, right? No places a utopia, but the racism in the U.S. is to me lethal, far more lethal than other places. And um, we've normalized it. It's not normal. And when you go abroad, you will experience that. Do not believe the fallacy that we are not liked or appreciated or welcome abroad because that's not true. And I've experienced that in, like I said, over 50 countries. So um, Portugal is where I just, I have felt the most free and it's a really great energy here. So that's why.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. This has been a beautiful conversation. Um, Can you let the listeners know how they can follow the expat app and get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the easiest way, if you want to download the expat app, um, it's literally called the expat app, um, the, and then just expat, X-P-A-T, so no E on there, app. Um, and it's in Apple and the Google Play Store. So if you have an Android, you can also download it. The app is free. Check it out. Um, and it's not just for current expats. If you're an aspiring expat, if you're a repat who's already moved abroad and come back home, if you're a digital nomad, listen, this community is for you. Um Allies can come as well as long as you respect the space um, and you're there to enhance the Black expat experience. Or you can follow me online um, on IG. It's uh, Feet Meets Land. <laughs> it's a weird name, but um, uh, Feet Meets Land. And the expat app also has IG page too, our expat chat. So y'all can check any of those places out. Thank for you.
0: Sure, for sure. Well, thank you, Shar for being here with us. That's another episode of Black with Blue Passports. And uh, it was a pleasure. It truly was a pleasure.
1: Truly a pleasure. Thank you.
2: Thank y'all for checking out another episode of Black with Blue Passwords with Javier Wallace and Dr. Devin Walker. Make sure y'all follow us and check us out on social media at DDCE Global, World Walker Foundation, Black Austin Tours. Afro-Latino Travel, and keep this conversation going. A special shout-out goes out to our production team, Sophia Leal and Sydney Cox. Hey, be safe, y'all, and we'll see y'all next time.